Welcome back to Sermon Notes. This week, it sounds like we've just dropped the bar of quality and let anybody do this. We got Dave. Hello, my name's Dave. <laughs> um, here with Garland. And we are kicking Clark off. and Michael are on vacation today, so we're at the bottom so of the barrel uh, <laughs> bringing I, I you in. I'm the third alternate um, here. But uh, we're kicking off a new book this, this Sunday. Uh, First Peter. Garland, you're kicking off with the intro. Um, so this past week in our in our staff meeting, we looked out even over the next year and looked at some of the books that we're doing next year. And so as we as a team were planning out um, the year that we're in now, even last year, First Peter was a book that we were drawn to. Garland, give us a little bit of insight as to why First Peter and does it at all fit with maybe what we've gone through a little bit already this year? Yep. I mean, uh, we do, we do plan and that may be surprising to, to some listening. Uh, we, we really wanted this year to lean into the theme of what we've called the way, the way of faithful presence, the way of the exile. Uh, and the reason for that, the big reason for that is, um, you know, I especially am hearing more and more people, uh, and, and it's not just people, you know, you know, 40 and under kind of my age and under it's, um, I'm hearing more and more people that are trying to figure out how, how do I navigate? How do we navigate, um, an increasingly secular culture, more post-Christian in nature, more divided than ever. How do we navigate this culture in a way that honors Jesus, um, but can be winsome and engaging in the culture? Um, I think we have different uh, we might say we have different degrees of success at that at different times. Um, but I think when we talked in the Daniel Esther series, we talked about, uh, there are, are three, I call them missteps of, I think how we engage culture. And, uh, those three missteps are we can fight against, we can run away, um, or we can settle in. And so, um, get really angry and fearful and we've seen those missteps, I think, a lot over the last few years. Yep. Uh, just sort of bunker down mentality, run away, um, where we never engage. Um, and we've seen that a lot over the last few years. And the last one is just to almost to assimilate, to settle in, where you could not demonstrably tell a difference between this person who claims to follow Jesus and this person who doesn't. Um, and those would all be missteps. I think all of those would miss uh, the heart of the New Testament. I think all those would miss the way that Jesus modeled this for us. And so, you know, we wanted to spend an extended time this year. We used a couple of Old Testament narratives, uh, and one of them has got an apocalyptic feel toward the end in the book of Daniel. And now uh, we're doing a New Testament letter written to churches. That is a similar feel. And so, uh, yeah, this is a theme that we're working with. Um, and it's it's intentional. We want to call our people, you if you're listening to this, our church, to model the the way of presence, the way of faithful yeah. presence, to be uh, engaging and bless our community uh, winsomely, but to also remain faithful uh, to Jesus. In First Peter, that's the theme. I mean, yeah. that's literally where First Peter is going to take us. And I am I have re fallen in love with this letter, uh, even in the last few uh, months prepping for it and, and learning and studying on it. So well, uh, excited to gonna, teach it. I know you're going to get into a lot of the intro this Sunday, but uh, one of the points of sermon notes is to bring us in on the conversation that we don't have time for. Every Monday we gather and we talk about the passages, and I wish we could bring people into that Monday morning meeting, but right. that's what this is for. And yeah. so we're kicking off just, just two verses this, this Sunday, right? Just one and just two. Just two, yep. Um, you want to start off by reading it, or you just want to go ahead and start bringing us into some things that we won't get to talk about from the stage, but that we've been talking about in our meeting? 
Yeah, let me read it. That might be a good place. It's so short. I'll read it. And this will this will automatically, I think, trigger some of the background work that we'll have to do. And you see this, you know, if you've ever read a New Testament letter before, you automatically have to do a little bit of work. Um, uh, when you read any uh, ancient text, or especially in this case, a letter like this, you are, it's, I like, I like to say it this way, you are stumbling onto a phone conversation that you only hear one side of it. And that automatically requires you to listen well and to lean in. And oftentimes you're going to have to do a little work to figure out what's going on, especially when it's something from 2000 years ago, like this is. So I'll read it. Here it is. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to, the, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So uh, there's the two verses. Now, right off the bat, we got some questions. Um, Peter, who is, who's, who's the author? Um, who's the recipient to these kinds of things? And we'll address some of those on Sunday. I think Peter, m- most people I think in uh, the church are relatively familiar. This is one of the apostles of Jesus, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the people Jesus called early on, um, a, an obscure, probably poor fisherman from the northern part of, it, uh, of Israel, uh, Sea of Galilee region, uh, who becomes an influential leader of the early church um, and the big change agent in his life was the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, He followed Jesus. Um, It's what makes this letter so, I think, special is we are getting, uh, we're getting a letter written from somebody who walked with Jesus for years, who was there at some of the most fateful kinds of events that we talk about in the Bible. Um, We we don't have, we won't have time on Sunday to go into uh, some of the things about the authorship. There is, of course, as, as almost everything in the Bible, all of it's debated, depending it if you're conservative, if you're debate. liberal. Um, yep. There's a huge debate about the authorship. Um, uh, a lot of liberal scholars don't think Peter wrote this, and they have their reasons for it. Uh, I think the reasons can be overstated. Um, and so... Uh, one of their one of their reasons is well the Greek is pretty high level Greek it's a uh, it's the Greek that a, a poor fisherman probably couldn't write um, and uh, the the simple response to that is he tells you in chapter five that he's writing it through what's called an amanuensis we would call it maybe a secretary he he tips his hand he uses a guy to help him write it and so First uh, Peter this letter was probably written uh, we might say composed by Peter through his secretary and that process likely took several months of kind of back and forth forth and drafting. And, uh, and so his, his secretary probably is trained in scribal activity and therefore has the ability to write in pretty high Greek. And it's not that hard of a, he tells you in the letter. So, um, I don't think most of the sermon notes listeners, uh, are struggling with authorship issues, but if you are, I had a conversation with somebody already about that. Um, then let me know. We can kind of dive a little deeper. He's writing to, um, these are regions. We might call them like almost like counties or States kind of are in America. Uh, these are regions, provinces of the ancient Roman Empire that are all located in modern-day Turkey. And I'll go into some of this on Sunday. I'll have a map and all that. But what we know about these regions um, is they're largely rural. Um, they're they're not kind of the heart of the empire like Rome would be. Um, there's some really important cities. Like Ephesus is uh, a city that is near one of these regions. And it, I liken it to like the New York City of the ancient world, a uh, really important city, or maybe the LA or something like that. Um, obviously, Rome is the heartbeat of everything right. in this part of the world. Um, these, are, these are rural communities with some scattered kind of important cities. Um, what makes it interesting is uh, 
these regions have uh, a very interesting kind of mix of, of deity. And so if you were to walk down the street in a city in ancient Asia Minor, you're going to see temples everywhere. You're going to see temples to all sorts of gods. The Romans were fantastic at assimilating and adopting other cultures practices of worship. They just basically said, well, we conquered you, and sure, that'll become one of our gods now. And then they they had all sorts of ways to, uh, to make this work. Um, what makes this region particularly interesting is it is here, modern-day Turkey, where uh, emperor worship, it's called the imperial cult, was most pronounced. And so uh, what that means is uh, worship to Caesar was all over this place, all over this part of the world. Uh, there's a long history of why they actually aligned against uh, the, the first Caesar, Octavian Augustus, who was kind of taken over after his adopted father, Julius Caesar, was killed. And uh, this the, the kings and leaders of this part of the world, they actually lined up with the wrong guy, Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And when they died, now you got a problem. Whoops, we chose the wrong guy. Now he's got to come kill us. What do we do? Oh, I know what we do. Let's just honor him as a deity and tell him he's the man. Well, that's how it started, but you give that decades and decades and decades, and now Caesar's worshipped right alongside a lot of the other gods. There's uh, temples to Caesar all over the place in this part of ancient Turkey, uh, and uh, that becomes very important for reading this letter because imagine, just imagine, you're in a city. There's deities everywhere. You have uh, a long history of worshiping the king who lives in Rome as a deity, and then this strange group shows up and starts talking about a different king whom the king over there in Rome had crucified, but who came back to life and is actually now the true king of the world, and you only give your loyalty and allegiance to him. Um, I that, can see there being some um, struggle. There's going to be some discomfort. There's going to be some hostility <laughs> with that. Um, you, A lot of business went through the temples. A lot of business went through uh, the guilds that were associated with the temples. And so followers of Jesus who are proclaiming Jesus as their only king are going to face some real social cost for that. They're going to feel uh, ostracism. They may lose what we would call like clients. They're going to lose the ability to trade. Um, they're going to lose social standing. They're going to be shamed instead of honored. And First Peter is written from Rome by Peter to this group to tell them, hang in there. And you already have all you need because you've been uh, you've been rescued and saved by the imperishable blood of Jesus. You're a chosen race. All that language of identity. Right. Now you see why that becomes so important. Because when you face that social pressure, be, being reminded over and over again, no, this is who you are. This is who you are becomes really, really important. And we know that because when we send our kids to school, we try to remind them. Uh, Hey, remember, you represent our family and you represent Jesus and this is who you are. And that's where identity language becomes so key to First Peter. And some of our favorite verses in the New Testament are in it. But that's why. That's the backdrop of it. Um, so one of the things that we have a little bit of an advantage is, is we've been reading this for a while on Mondays and we know kind of where it's headed. So for the person on Sunday, give me just a little bit of insight as to, yes, this was written to the people that we see in verse one, does this have any meaning to, for me today, even though it was written so long ago? If so, what? It sounds like three big things pop off the page if you're looking at it on verse two. Do those things still matter today as they did then? Give us a little bit of insight in, into that. Yeah, and this will be the second half of the sermon on Sunday. We'll, we'll really drop into, if you are, if you're not driving, but you actually have the ability to write right now, circle the words. The NIV is translating it as elect 
exiles there in verse one. Uh, if you were writing a book on first Peter, the title would have to have that in it somewhere elect exiles. I think what first Peter wants to invite the reader into experiencing and by extension, that's be you and me, you know, people going to fellowship as we read this, it wants you to be invited into seeing yourself as an exile. Um, you're not, you're not home. Um, you are a foreigner. This is not the, this is not our home. Um, and I think that that is difficult for many of us. I think it becomes very, uh, it becomes very fearful, I think, to begin the process of recognizing, um, wait, actually, uh, America and uh, party and politics and the values of America, those things as important as they are and, and oftentimes as beneficial as they, as they have been to some people, um, that's not my primary allegiance. Uh, that could be a really scary thing. Uh, here's the, maybe the more fun way to say it. Uh, Christian, get used to being weird. Get used to it. Um, you're in exile. Get used to being weird. Get used to being seen. Yeah, get used to being seen as weird. Get used to sounding weird. Um, get used to having values that people see as weird. I think people. Uh, what a lot would you of, say to the person that that would say, "I don't feel weird" or "I don't feel uncomfortable"? Yeah, I think it can be both. This can be both a a, a challenge that addresses some of our fear. I think sometimes Christians are afraid that uh, well, people don't like what we say. They they don't like and recognize sometimes the way we say it, Peter's going to address that as well. He'll say, always be ready to give a defense, but with gentleness and respect. He's going to say, honor the emperor. That's a hard thing to say when Nero was the emperor. Right. Um, so I think at the same time, Peter's going to going to confront us with this. Um, and we'll see this all throughout the letter. You can see it uh, really clearly in chapter 2, verse 12. Hear this. Now, I'll distill this down to something I heard uh, from Tim Keller. Um which I thought was masterful. And I, I might have to stop talking about Tim Keller because he just passed away last week and he was a huge influence on me. Yeah. Um, but 212, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify your God the day business. Now here's the, here's the, what, what he said by that. He goes, um, he said, you will both be attractive and defensive. And if you are only offensive but no attractive, you're off. Um, if you are only attractive, but no, you never offend, then you're probably uh, assimilating into culture. Um, and if you're neither, then you're definitely off. Um, and that was just that was just a kind of a pithy way I thought for me to even think through. Um, and it reminds me so much of even the Book of Daniel. Yeah, just the like one Daniel. Thing that they had just like Daniel him was his loyalty and allegiance to his mm -hmm. God. But he was a great, great he was a, he was a great leader. Yeah. He was a great person in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. He was honorable. He had integrity. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, our the message that we carry there there are things that our culture will see and say that's offensive, that's right. backwards, that's archaic. Who who do we pledge our loyalty to? Is it Jesus? If so, then I'm gonna we have to get used to being weird. Well, at the same time, we extend mercy and justice and uh, we extend um, care for people that can't find it anywhere. That should be really attractive. Um, our marriages should be really attractive. And so the way we treat each other, um, it's a really, I mean, you had the question I'm answering is, does this matter? You know, does yeah. this matter? Yeah. I think, I, I don't know what could matter more. That's actually why we're reading this letter. Um, now, it, I would be remiss if I didn't, really quickly mentioned though, um, as we're talking about this, this seems pretty gritty. Like I'm even talking about this going like, man, this has some bite to it. 
This is why it's elect exiles. We just talked about the exile part. The elect. Go read First Peter. Look for themes of exile. Then go read it again and look for themes of identity and calling. Uh, and to all that stuff that might seem really scary and hard, that's why there's all this language to balance it out but to say, but don't you know who you are? Don't you know what he's done for you? Don't you know that he's worth it? Don't you know that he actually became the exile so that you could be brought back home? And so uh, you have to have the identity right. language. You have to have the, ins- the inspiration. You have to have the, don't you see? Otherwise, you could imagine somebody reading First Peter and, and almost going, man, I'm going to get tired. This could, be, this could wear you out. Yeah. But then all this language of you were chosen, and you're pointing out these. There's four clauses in verse two. So actually, looking at the passage, Real quick, um, yeah, go ahead. To that identity thing, yeah, something that Clark mentions and says a lot is your identity determines your your mission. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like First Peter. Let's because you are this a chosen race, a royal mm-hmm. priesthood, live as an exile. Essentially, there's a, there's a there is a necessary one of the points I uh, I probably won't have time to make on Sunday. First Peter necessitates the union of being and doing. I think in Christian language, uh, the last 10 years, especially it became really in vogue to talk about. It's really important that, that we are, that we're be, that we know who we, that we be, you know, our being is more important than doing. I'm Um, a human being, by the way, not a human doing. Yeah, exactly. And I think people, people say that and I get why I think they're responding to sort of a legalistic, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this idea that all that, what, what you do for Jesus matters more. You can get really cold, sterile Christianity in that. And I get that too. Uh, I think we've almost made that into a, almost a dichotomy that the New Testament would be confused by. First Peter's going to necessitate the union of our being and our doing. They can't be separated. And so a Christian saying, well, I'm just trying to rest in Christ and put my identity in him, but then never goes out and... Uh, obeys Jesus and is assimilating with their culture around them. Uh, I think first Peter would challenge that Christian. Um, you need to pledge your loyalty to a different King, which includes every piece of your life. And yes, that's going to make you feel weird and maybe worse. Right. It might, you, you might get actual face, actual hostility, yeah. even in America, even in the South. Um, I think it should also, uh, I think it should also motivate the Christian who is out there tire, tirelessly trying to work, 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 work for Jesus to recognize that, uh, for, see, see what he says about you, and that's your fuel, not some sort of dogged uh, desire to impress Jesus right. so that you can get into heaven one day. Uh, most people, I think, ha- who have tried that have found it to eventually wear out, and First Peter could be your anecdote. Yeah. Uh, it could be the thing oh, that, yeah. that buoys you. In that, so well, I, I am basically preaching now, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, um, that's gonna be on because it's uh, it's Sunday. so it's so good. Real quickly, bring us into. I said three, but you said four. There's four things in, in verse two, and then I'm gonna put you on the spot for one question. Sweet. At the, at the end of this, so we've done some background, and I'm gonna hit this on Sunday. Um, but grammatically, he uh, he says to God's elect exiles. Then he gives us where. Then four uh, four clauses essentially amplify or fill in the gaps of who he means those people to understand themselves are. And these are the four and you can put one, two, three, four, if you want to, if you, if you're, uh, if you have your Bible out, number one, who are these elect exiles? Number one, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, number two, through the sanctifying work of the spirit. Number three, to obedience to Jesus Christ. It literally means towards to obedience to Jesus Christ and four and the sprinkling of his blood. 
those four things. Now, notice if you if you uh, if you have your Bible out, notice the Trinity language in there: Father, Spirit, and Son. Uh, how secure is His choosing of you? How secure is His uh, is rescuing you? How secure is your identity? Well, the uh, work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in choosing you. Setting you apart, sanctify literally means to make uncommon. We would say today, it makes it special. Um, and sprinkle with his blood, cleansed. And it, notice our part, to be obedient to him. It comes with being and doing. There it is. It's right yeah. there. Uh, I would say on the, on the, because of that, on the basis of that, he can then pray, grace and peace be yours over and abundant. May they multiply. So what was your, you have a question to put me on the spot? Yeah, here's the question. And you said earlier, you can't. Summarize First Peter without the word elect and mm-hmm. exile in it. Mm-hmm. You get one sentence. One sentence. One I, sentence? I, I know how hard this is for you, so you may have to think about it for 10 seconds. Uh-huh. Your one sentence summary or thesis of First Peter. Of the book of First Peter? Yes. I would say First uh, Peter encourages its reader to faithfully live for Jesus as king, even in a culture that doesn't understand and may push back, and to see Jesus as your example as you do it. Uh, it's always pointing to Jesus. It I might have been the most Paul sentence. you like that little run-on sentence? It's a run-on, and it was really long. And I, that wasn't that bad. Uh, let me give you, uh, Karen Jobes is a good. New Testament scholar, actually, and she says this about First Peter, and uh, I'm just going to read it to you because she summarizes it really well. First Peter challenges Christians to re-examine our acceptance of society's norms and to be willing to suffer the alienation of being a visiting foreigner in our own culture, wherever its values conflict with those of Christ. Um, and I thought that, I, I'm actually having it in the slides. It's a, it's a very good, I think, short summary of what's going on here, and that's why we're reading it. Yeah. Give me one reason why you're excited about this book. Oh, elect exile. I mean, I, 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 if we can, if we can embody that imagination that I think Peter's giving for us, if we can walk in that, if we can really finally come to the, to terms with it, because it's largely what the new Testament is written to and expecting of its audience. And especially in first Peter, if we can embody that, I do think it might actually radically change how you view your life. Um, I am chosen. Wow. That is amazing. Uh, what does that mean? And, and process that. But also, I'm, I'm an exile. I'm a resident alien. And I have a different citizenship, a better citizenship, one that's eternal, one that doesn't fade, one that, has, that gives me the satisfaction I desperately need. Uh, now let me go engage the world. And I think we would do so with much more winsomeness, much less fear, much less hostility and bitterness. Um, and... With, I think we be much more effective uh, as we go out into our culture. And that's why we're studying this book. And so uh, excited yeah, to get excited. to study it over this summer with us together. Love it. I mean, even thinking back on last week and Pope's uh, teaching on Sunday about standing on the rock and not hiding behind it. Yeah. Joining in. Love yeah. it. Well, thanks for uh, listening, and uh, we'll see get you, get you next time, I guess.